Well, it was great to worship with you online last week. I got to just confess because I feel so guilty about where I was. <laughs> Kathy and I were in Southern California in San Diego. I think she got to get to the beach every day. I had to suffer with a pastor's conference, but hey, you know, Southern California. But I do also need to report because this is so like crazy good. I get with a group of pastors. It's the same group for the last, I don't know how many years. I don't go all the time, but there's about 20 of us. And so the opening question, because the last years have been so kind of complicated, right? Give a number from one to 10 of how you're doing. And they just went around the room with these 20 pastors and they started out with a two. One gave a four, another gave a six. And I'm like, wow. Like, I was just stunned because I was then embarrassed to give my number, which was like a nine. And it's a nine because of y'all. It's because this church is so awesome. And I just love Fox Valley Church. I mean, I just love it. And I am so bullish for this church because as we navigated these difficult times, we navigated them together. Not perfectly, for sure, but we navigated them together. Of course, as I look at this, I do celebrate. And then last week, having my friend here, Pastor Adam, it was good. He was on staff for a number of years. Yeah, it was so good to have him back. And uh, he, he brought something to you. I hope you remember one of the things that he said, and that was this, that the law is no longer your boss right? That was a big part of chapter six. And then he dove into this idea that there's the old self. I don't know if you caught that verse six of chapter six, the old self. And that's the old way of living. It's the way we were before Christ. It's the mindset we had. It's, It's the way we believed. It's the way we acted. It's the way our attitudes carried us along. And then Adam introduced this idea of the new self, changed by the Spirit of God. So the old self and all that stuff is gone, and there's the new self that is emerging with the person of Jesus Christ. And so the way that plays out, as Pastor Adam brought in, I don't remember all of his exact examples, but people dabble in pornography because in the old way of living, right, there's this lie. There's this lie. Oh, a little porn doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't hurt my spouse for sure. She may never know. He may never know. And so we start living this lie, this old self, And what Pastor Adam was saying is, we don't have to do that anymore. We can be victorious over that because we have new truths emerging out of the Word of God. So when we hear that lie, oh, a little bit of gossip, not a big deal. Or when you're going to fudge on your income tax, right? These are all lies of the old way of life where God is now calling us to an entirely new way of living, which is so, so good. But so many of us, myself included, we come out of a background of mess. Just mess, right? We may have had a family, a father, a mother that just poured lies into our hearts and and beat us down, discouraged us. Or we might have had a spouse, or maybe we're in a strained relationship now, right, in marriage. And and we've got to bathe ourselves in truth. So where we're going today is into Romans chapter 7. And what Paul is very concerned about in Romans 7 is how do we live a holy life? 
How do we live this holy life? Now, I got to say, Romans chapter 7 is one of these chapters that causes problems for a lot of Christians. And I'll tell you why. It's because a lot of Christians come to Romans 7 with a list of questions. And they're wanting their questions to get answered in the mindset that they're thinking. But if we'll just pull back, let Paul speak through the Holy Spirit, let Romans 7 be interpreted in the context of Romans, and then Romans interpreted in the context of the Bible, you're going to see that it's way more clear than you could have ever imagined. So, I also want to warn you, I've read over the years, many people formulate ideas, doctrines, positions out of Romans 7 because of the confusion, and those are the people you need to be careful of. Just want to give you a tip there. Be careful of anybody building a doctrine of the spiritual life only on Romans 7. We want to take in all of the Bible. We want to take in all of the New Testament, and let's see what God has to say about that as well. So here's the question that happens in Romans 7, is now that Christ is come, now that Christ has arrived and He's given us this new self, what place does the law have in Christian discipleship? Let me say it again. Now that Christ has come on the scene, now that He has lived a holy life, totally obedient to the Father, died in our place, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, now that all that has happened, what is the role of the Mosaic law in Christian discipleship? That's the question we're going to go after today. If you have your Bible, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, always good to have a Bible. If you have a device, always good so that you can see it with your own eyes. And uh, what I want to do is we're going to break, we're going to look at uh, verses 1 to 13. We're just going to break at verse 6, but let me read verses 1 to 6. Paul writes, Or do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. 
Father, as we study your word, we ask for you to speak loudly and clearly into our hearts. Help us to hear your spirit and discern what you have for us as we look at your word this morning. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if we had read the entire chapter of Romans 7, what you're going to find is the word law is in almost every verse. Almost every verse, the word law shows up. So let me ask a question, not a trick one. What do you think is the theme that Paul is talking about? (laughs) We might say law, right? Because it's brought up so frequently. I don't know, before I get too far, I want you to just think for a moment how amazing the law is. So many people think of it in a negative way. But just think about this world. It's not that God didn't break in and speak with Adam and Eve. It's not that He didn't speak directly with Noah. It's not that he didn't speak with Abraham and Sarah and that over time God was doing all these things, but it was the prophet Moses who wrote it down. Never in the history of the world did we get such clear, specific revelation by God. He spoke. Moses, through the Spirit, wrote it down so that we have a written record of the very words and voice of God. Amazing to think about that, right? So that the law is is powerful. Now, when I use the word law, the word law in the Scriptures are used several different ways. we got to be a little careful. Sometimes it's referring to just sections of the Mosaic law. Other times it's referring to, say, the Decalogue. That's what I mean by a section. Sometimes it's referring, the Decalogue meaning the Ten Commandments. Sometimes it's referring to just the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. Sometimes the word law is a reference to the entire Old Testament. So you got to be a little careful how you're reading it. But when I'm talking about it now, I'm talking mainly about the first five books of the Bible that were almost completely written by Moses. So it is astounding to think about it. So let's just take a little bit of a look at what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy. He said, See, I have set before you today life and good. Now what he's talking about is the Pentateuch, or more specifically, the Mosaic Law. So when Moses said, I have set before you, this is at the end of Deuteronomy, I've set before you a way to live, where you will flourish, where you'll find goodness. But I've also warned you about death and evil. So Moses just lays it out. He says, if you obey the commandments of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God. Notice the heart dimension. People that want to make the the commandments or the Mosaic law all external, God was moving us in an entirely new direction as He revealed Himself and He revealed how to walk 
with the true God. People want to make it up. People want to live how they want to live. And God said, no, I'm going to tell you who I am and I'm going to tell you how to live. Then he says, if you obey, then you shall live and multiply. Right? There, there, there's a flourishing. There's a goodness that comes. And the Lord God will bless you. You're going to experience the goodness of God, the blessings of God. And there's a little bit of an echo of this in, in Ephesians chapter 6. If children would obey their parents, right? There's a blessing that comes with that. So Moses goes on. He says, into the land. And then he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. There's the contrast. Therefore, look what he says. Choose life. Choose life. Don't be a fool and choose the other way. Listen to what God says about all these things. So that's where we begin to uh, get this idea of the law being good. Look what it says here in Psalm 19. It says the law of the Lord, talking about the Mosaic law, it's perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. And then look how the psalmist lays it out. The Mosaic law is to be desired more than gold. How do you describe how precious it is except to turn it into the very things that we go after? We'll die for gold. We'll fight for gold. And the psalmist is saying the Mosaic law is more precious than that. We find it again in Psalm 119. It says this, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Look what he says. Your law is my delight. And yet a lot of Christians want to distance themselves from it. He goes on, the psalmist writes, I love your law. And it's my meditation all day long. So now let's not get too far from the passage. Do you think Paul was reading the Old Testament? As a rabbi? As a teacher? As a Pharisee of Pharisees? He was second to none. This was his space. This is what he breathed, the air. This is the well from which he drank. Can I tell you another person who did that? Your Savior and my Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we read, we begin to see all these different things. But here's where the problem starts to come into play. Now Paul doesn't lay them out in exactly these terms, but I'd like to lay them out this way. There, there's this mid-road direction called grace. Grace. And Paul's been talking about grace, right? This, this is what's so amazing about the Christian life is that it's not us, it's God, right? We are declared right with God. How? By grace. How do we receive that grace? Through faith. In whom? In Jesus Christ, the one who stood condemned. Where I should have stood condemned, Jesus stood condemned. He died in my place. I receive that by faith. And then it's all about Christ and His glory. 
So that's the path. But look what I write there. Law and freedom. Law and freedom. We're going to dig a little deeper into Romans 7 in a moment, but this is the road. But on the left side, there's the legalist. The legalist is someone like this. They think that they can somehow get in with God, earn favor with God by obeying the law. They think if they're a good person and they just keep doing it. Now you got to remember in the church in Rome, there were Jews and Gentiles. So the Jews are listening to Paul and they're saying like, hey Paul, where are you going with the law thing? Are you dissing it? Are you dismissing it? And so the legalists were wanting to elevate it to this place. But if I talk about the law only in the external, we really miss the heart of the legalist. The heart of the legalist isn't mere external obedience. The heart of the legalist, the the heart posture The spirit that drives the legalist is ultimately one of pride. I can do this on my own. I've got this, God. Don't worry about it. There's no humility. There's no brokenness. There's no contriteness. That's the heart of the legalist. So don't just get caught up on the external of obeying the law. On the other side of the road, the other ditch, right? Because you can fall off the road into either ditch. The other ditch is the anti-law person or the, uh, the, the person who says, throw the whole law away, we're all under grace. The problem with that is I'll just give you one verse. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture. All Scripture. When it says that in 2 Timothy, clearly it's talking about the Old Testament, maybe parts of the New Testament. But it says this, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God. And then here's what Paul writes to Timothy. And profitable. The Old Testament is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So, we want to walk down the middle road of grace. So as we look at this this morning, we're going to have to dig deep into Romans 7 to get a picture of all that is is happening here. So here's my first point this morning. Jesus frees us from the law's authority. Now, what Pastor Adam did great last week was he used the word boss, right? He said the law is no longer your boss. And so what Paul is doing is he's pressing into this idea that Jesus frees us from the law's authority. So in verse 1, he gives us a legal principle. In 7 verse 1, he says, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Well, duh, if they're dead, (laughs) how can they be under the law? So then he brings everybody into an illustration. An illustration you and I can easily understand just as they did. Verse 2, a married woman is bought 
is, is bought. Uh, a married woman is bound by the law, right? A married woman is bound by the law while her husband is alive. Isn't that where he's going? So the couple, the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, they're bound in a covenant relationship as long as they're both alive. What happens when the husband dies? The woman is now free from the law so that she can marry another. But if she went and got with another guy while her husband is still alive, she would be an adulteress. So it's the issue of the law. So Paul just laying it out. Verse 2, if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Verse 3, accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man with her husband while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free and she can marry another person and not be an adulteress. So Paul starts out with the legal principle. You're bound to the law as long as you're alive. He uses an illustration then he wants to apply it theologically. He wants his readers, you and me, to understand now what does this mean for our lives in 2022? And he says in verse 4, Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you have died to the law. How? Through the body of Christ powerful. What's happening in Scripture is there's this legal move of being tied to the law. But when you die to the law because you've bound to Christ who died, right? That was Romans 6 verses 1 to 4. Is what we begin to see is that now Christ's death is counted to us. Sometimes the Bible uses a word reckoned to us. Another good word is imputed to us. So now we get the death of Christ so that we're freed from the law, but then we also get what? The life of Christ. And that's imputed to us. But we're here stuck on the death of Christ, and that's where he's going in verse 4, so that we don't lose it, right? He's saying because we have been tied to Christ, we have died. Then he goes on and he says, we've been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit to God. Lots of ways we could talk about this fruit. But remember, the old self, Romans 6, verse 6, is the old way of living. How many of you want to go back to that old way of living? It's terrible. It's terrible. We're trying to make life work on our terms. We're trying to do things that we think are right. We've got attitudes that are messed up. The affections of our heart are all distorted as we get messages from the world and from people around us. And all of a sudden, we die to all of that. And we get moved into the life of Christ. That's where Paul goes. And that fruit is the fruit of Jesus Christ. Probably a big piece of fruit is love. That we could genuinely love people without manipulating people. And that's the way our world rolls today. Manipulation. I've got to get from you so that I can feel good about me. I've got to somehow wrestle it out of you. I'm going to use words. 
I'm going to do things. I'm going to hurt you so that I can feel good about myself. But if you die, and I do that too, right? That's how it was before Christ. Now, Christ sets me free from all that so that I can actually live victoriously. And so chapter 7, the rest of the chapter, when we get there in a couple of weeks, verses 14 to the end, we're going to see exactly how to do that. Let's go a little further. Verse four, uh, 5, For while we were living in the flesh, that's our old way of life, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Now we have this whole new way of living is where Paul is taking us. There's this contrast, right, that, that's going on. And as the people listened to the Apostle Paul, they started getting really confused. Now, Paul, what, what are you saying is the role of the law then? If we're believers, if we're Christ followers, now that we have died and we have the death of Christ imputed to us, reckoned to us, counted to us, how is it that we should live? And so remember back in earlier as we looked at this, in chapter 3, we hold that one is declared right, that's what the word justified is, by faith apart from works of the law. Paul, you were talking about everything apart from the works of the law. Or, as we just read, let's go a little more detail. Look, he says we died to the law. This law aroused our sinful passions. We are released from the law. Paul, what are you trying to say? Well, let's look at what he says in verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means, exclamation point. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life, Deuteronomy chapter 30, proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So here's my second point. The law is good and holy, but sin brings death. So what Paul was doing, he was carving this middle path of where we needed grace and was saying it wasn't the law that did all this. It was the sin that is in our hearts. This rebellion against God Remember we say we are rebels by nature 
and by choice. So let me just say three things this morning as we look at how the law is good and holy and sin brings death. First of all, the law reveals sin. That's what he's doing in verse 7. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. You might want to circle that word known. Because what does he mean? Is he talking about just intellectually knowing about sin? Probably not, because of course we knew about sin. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see sin. But what he's talking about is the law begins to expose the experience of sin. Now, how do I get to the experience of sin? It's because he takes the word coveting. You've got the Ten Commandments, and you all know the Ten Commandments. But he takes the very last one, thou shall not covet. Why did he take that one? I think he took it because he wanted to press as deeply as possible into the human heart. So you take the sixth commandment, thou shall not murder. I've never murdered anybody. But wait a minute. I've been awfully angry at people. Why? Well, isn't that the heart of coveting? Is you desire something and you can't get it? So you get angry? Isn't this what Jesus preached in His Sermon on the Mount? He said, you have committed murder in your heart. It's because this anger is there, but anger is driven by desire. Open up to uh, James chapter 4, verse 2. You, you don't have, so you ang- you're angry and you murder. Not literally, maybe, but you still are doing this. Right, So the law brings us to a place where we can actually see more clearly what's going on in our heart. You take the seventh commandment. Thou shall not commit adultery. But Jesus said if you lust in your heart. See, I got desires for other women other than my wife. That's coveting. And that's tantamount to adultery. Of course, all of this is dismissed in our culture today where we jump from bed to bed and we care less about our marital vows. And what Paul is trying to bring us to is this place that the law has in the Christian life. It points out these different things so that we can know it. Well, let's look at the second. The law provokes sin in verse 8. But sin, notice how he personifies sin sin becomes a person it becomes a boss and look at this it says sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment through the law produced in me all kinds of coveting sometimes I read stuff like this and I I ask myself what is it that's lurking so deeply in my heart? What's sin? We all got it. This is the battle of Romans 7, and we're going to get into it in a couple weeks, the second half of the chapter. But if I could just be honest with you all, and just lay out my sin. 
It's, it's very simple, actually. It's driven by pride and it shows itself in demandingness. Now, what is demandingness? Well, it's, it's my heart's desire that I want what I want. Now, think of how much of a wrecking ball I am. I'm married to a beautiful woman who's perfect in every way. And what happens? I got to say that. She is, though. But we're talking about my heart, my wretched heart, right? Because that's where Paul goes. And I look at my demandingness, my desire for what I want, and I don't care what she wants. You know what that sets up? A big old fight. Now play it out with children. My children have different desires when they were being raised in our home. And what do I want? Tom wants what Tom wants. That's demandingness. It's selfishness. Well, let's just call it self. Tom needs to be on the throne and exalted. That's my sin. And it's ugly. And it just shows itself in so many ways. And now i got to wrestle with dying to my selfishness, to my demandingness, right? And, and, and that's, that's what Paul's saying, is that the law provokes it. Now, we know what that's like. Remember when, when you were a teenager and your mom or your dad said, be home at 10 o'clock? And you're like, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you'd stretch it and come home at 10.05. Or 11, right? That law provokes us. So when the Bible tells me, don't be demanding, I'm like, I'll show demanding. <laughs> it just, it provokes, it incites. And it's destructive. A lot of families come collapsing down and so Paul's just laying this out. The law provokes sin. And of course, that's what he said in verse 5 again. It, it, it says, while we were living in our flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. Here's the third. The law condemns sin. That's verses 9, 10, and 11. I was once alive apart from the law. Now, what does Paul mean, I was once alive apart from the law? I think what he's talking about here is he's talking about when he was a child. When he was a child, before he really understood the law, before he really knew the law, before he comprehended the truth of the law, before he began to experience all the things that we do in our adolescent years, he's saying, I was alive. I think that's what he's saying. But when the commandment came, when I really began to experience what the law was saying, look what happens. Sin came alive. So the problem isn't with the law. The problem is with sin that lurks in our hearts. The very commandment, verse 10, that produced life proved to be death. 
So what God intended for the law to do to help us flourish, to know Him and how to walk with Him, even when we sin, the Old Testament lays out, how do we walk with a holy God when we sin? For sin, verse 11, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. When we disobey God, we may get some momentary pleasures, but it's killing our souls. We may not recognize it at first, but every time I'm demanding, it's killing a piece of my soul, as well as hurting those around me. Every time I insist I got to have my way, it's destroying my soul. And that's what Paul's talking about. It deceived me. So people caught in pornography, sin deceived me. It's like, it's no big deal. It's no big deal if I use bad words and harsh words with my spouse. It's no big deal if I have a bad attitude with my boss. These are just little secret things. There's these white lies. And what I'm telling you is it's killing your soul and you'll never flourish. And what God wants you and me to do is flourish. He wants us to experience the fullest of life. Let me just hit on one area. It's the area of sex. Sex is the new God. It's what's going to make you feel good. It's what's going to make you happy. It's what we all live for. And it becomes the pinnacle. But God says, wait a minute. I thought it all up. And I want you to have the best sex life possible. But if you want the best sex life possible, it's in the context of a monogamous, heterosexual marriage. I didn't make that up. This is God's Word. And He's saying, I want you to experience the fullness of life. But when we go outside the covenant of marriage, it begins to destroy our souls. So the law condemns. So the upshot, it was not the law, but it was a sin producing death. I got something I'd like you to do. I'd like you to just read Romans 7 and get set up in two weeks. I'm going to be taking on the rest of Romans 7. Would you just take that on as an exercise just to read Romans 7 a few times? Just read it and think about it. This morning as we close, I want to encourage you to don't resist sin confess sin confess means own it so when I go to God and I say God I have been so demanding on my wife I have been so demanding on my staff I've been so demanding on my elders would you forgive me there's confession there we need to learn to confess and agree with God that our sin is in our heart. We are rebels by nature and by choice. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you have not abandoned us. Thank you that you give us a way forward and you are going to show us in your word how to live a holy life.
You're going to show us through chapter 7 as we begin to understand the sin that is just a terrible boss. There's a way forward, a way into victory through Jesus Christ. Help us grab hold of these truths, but let us begin today, God, just confessing that we are rebels by nature and by choice. Amen.